Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Episode 446. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week on the Drabblecast, welcome to the wild, weird West, Drabblecast style. We bring you an original, unpublished story by Joshua Bush. Joshua lives in Indiana, where he works from home as a software engineer. He enjoys walking in the woods and being distracted from work by his two cats. His childhood ambition was to invent the warp drive, but failing that, he finds writing stories to be a satisfactory alternative. Visit him at joshua-bush.com. So without further ado, we bring you The Wichita Drive by Joshua Bush. They were down in the gully, watering the cattle, when Billy came thundering down the ridgeline on his sorrel mare, waving his hat and hollering like he'd just seen the whole Comanche nation bearing down. Mr. Lee, he cried. Mr. Lee! Harry Lee, the top hand on the drive, trotted up to meet him, keeping his palomino well in hand so as not to disturb the herd any further. The younger cowboy was good in the saddle, but he was greener than spring horse pucky and had half as much sense. Mr. Lee, Billy said. Up on the ridgeline, I seen... Quiet down, boy, Harry said. But I seen... I said, quiet down. By then, Jack McNute had come up on his bay stallion. He was a strange man, cold as iron and twice as hard. But that wasn't a bad sort of man to have at your back on the open range. Boy, Harry went on. Do you know how many head of cattle we have on this drive? Billy's eyebrows screwed up in bewilderment. Of course, Mr. Lee, he said. Nine hundred head. That's right. And you know how hard it is to wrangle nine hundred head of cattle when they get in their head to stampede? Shit, said McNute. I reckon. Harry held up a hand to quiet him. Well, Billy said, somewhat abashed. Pretty hard, I reckon. That's right, said Harry. Now, tell me what you've seen up on that ridge. Quietly. Billy kept his voice level, but the fear spilled over into his eyes. Snails, he said. The word hung in the air like thunder from a coming storm. Shit, said Jack McNute. Harry grimaced, but kept steady. What color was the slime, he said. The slime, Billy said. I don't know, it just, was it green or white, boy? 
It was green. Yeah, I reckon it was green. Oh, shit, said McNewt. That night, they bedded down on the top of a tall bluff. Billy and McNewt sat close to the fire while Harry leaned against a lone juniper tree, flickering firelight casting his leathery skin like a bronze statue. Maybe we ought to turn back, Billy said. We don't want our herd to get eaten by no snails. We ain't turning back, Harry said. I've been driving cattle for near on 35 years, and I never lost a single head to no snail. You think that's going to change on my last drive? This is your last drive, Mr. Lee? Damn right it is. Got me a ranch up in Wyoming, already bought and paid for. 100 acres of green grass and good earth. Even got a stream running through it so I can catch trout. Shit, said McNoot. If it's already bought and paid for, what are you doing here? Billy wondered. Harry produced a golden locket from his coat. He flipped it open and gazed inside a long time before answering. I made a promise a long time ago. He snapped the locket shut and put it back in his pocket. And I mean to keep it. They awoke to the smell of slime. God almighty, Billy said. They're all around us. Shut your trap, said Harry, drawing his Winchester from its saddle holster. From their high vantage point, they could see snails to the north and west. They were giant things, twice as long as a longhorn with shells as hard as steel. They weren't fast, but the green ones left slime trails that were toxic to the cattle. By the look of things, this pack had almost finished circling around to trap the herd. Harry pulled out his golden locket, kissed it once, and hung it around his neck. I'm gonna draw him off. McNute, you reckon you can hold the stragglers off the herd? Shit, McNute said. He pumped his Winchester, chambering the first cartridge. I reckon I can. Harry nodded. Billy, you drive out of here when you see a gap. Make sure this herd makes it to Wichita, you hear me? Mr. Lee, no! But Harry had already dug in his spurs, and the Palomino was off like a bolt of lightning. His hollering was like the war cry of the wildest Indians, and his Winchester sang like a soprano at the opera. Bullets clanged harmlessly off the snail shells, but they followed him down into the gully, trailing vile ichor over the grass. And that was the last anyone ever saw of Harry Frank Lee. But that herd, that herd made it to Wichita. Things change slowly out in the plains, but they do change. Billy had never figured on the railroads crawling west to Dodge City, and when Dodge became the cattleman's capital of the west, he had never figured on coming back to Wichita. Somehow, ten years after that first Wichita drive, here he was again. From his perch, atop the McNute livery and trading company wagon, Billy surveyed the crisscross smattering of ramshackle construction and pus-strewn streets that made up Wichita. There was a time when you couldn't hardly set foot in the city without some cocksure cowhand eyeballing you, but that crowd had moseyed over to Dodge with the cattle. He didn't rightly know why McNute wanted an armed escort on this shipment, but Billy wasn't about to turn down honest work. That there's the Arkansas River, Billy said, elbowing his younger companion. 
First time I ever laid eyes on it, I was at the back of 900 head of cattle, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how... You already told me this story, said Garrett. I know, young fella. I just... I'm not that much younger than you. <laughs> you know, young fella, time was when a senior partner in a business engagement could tell a story without his junior partner interrupting him. Yeah, well, that was back in the olden days, when herds of snails still roamed the plains and senior business partners could still remember how many times they'd told a story. Time was when I'd pop you in the jaw for that, Billy thought. Last I checked, there were still a few snails around. Whatever you say, Billy. If Harry Lee heard you mouthing off like this, he'd have cleaned your clock. He wondered if maybe old McNute had gone soft, hiring all these loose-lipped rascals, but the thought of the old cowboy's steel eyes and handiness with the Winchester quickly dispelled the notion. There wasn't nothing soft about Jack McNute. He just had a knack for hiring bums. Fortunately, Billy had developed a can't-fail technique for dealing with miscreants like Garrett. Stick him with work. Say, deputy, Billy called, flagging down a mustachioed lawman. Where's a man to find a good coffee in Wichita these days? Well, you could try the general store on 2nd Street, but if you want the good stuff, you better call on Miss Goodhope over by the Johnson property, edge of town. Miss Goodhope. Why'd that name sound familiar? Billy tipped his hat to the lawman and hopped down from the coach. You can handle the delivery, can't you, Garrett? You don't need an old fogey like me slowing you down. I, I could use a hand with... Good man. If you need me, I'll be visiting with Miss Goodhope over by the Johnson's property. The lawman wasn't kidding when he said the woman lived on the edge of town. The backyard of her little ranch practically backed up into the mushroom fields, which offered the boon of keeping the snails away at the expense of some less than savory smells. Billy removed his hat, knocked on the door, and just about fell over when it swung open and a handsome older lady flashed him a friendly smile. God almighty, she looked familiar. Can I help you, mister? I heard tell this was the best place in Wichita a fella could go for coffee. I'm talking about the good stuff, ma'am. And by that, I take it you aren't looking for any of that new bean coffee they sell down on 2nd Street. No, ma'am. Only genuine Kansas mushroom coffee for me. She smiled again and waved him inside, gesturing toward a table. He fished a couple of coins out of his pocket and slapped them down, but she scowled as if he'd insulted her, and he sheepishly put him away. You're liable to make a woman nervous staring at her like that, she said. I do apologize, ma'am. It's just... I think we might have a mutual acquaintance. Is that so? She asked, measuring out a hearty portion of mushroom grounds into a pot of water. Have you ever laid eyes on a fella by the name of Harry Frank Lee? The lady made a sound that called to mind the particular snort a steer makes when it catches the scent of snail ichor. She lost her grip on the coffee sack and must have dumped three pots worth of grounds. I did more than lay eyes on him, she said. And I believe you mean to say we had a mutual acquaintance. Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, sorry, ma'am. And don't worry about the coffee. I like it strong. How did you know Harry? Billy held his hat over his heart. He always got this way when he thought of Mr. Lee. Sometimes when he closed his eyes, he could still hear the sound of his Winchester popping as he drew off those snails. I had the pleasure of working with him when I was just a little ankle biter. I was with him on his last drive, as a matter of fact. Might have been the last man to lay eyes on him. 
There was a dab of moisture in the woman's eyes as she turned to place the pot on the stove. Then you must share my dislike of snails. Billy paused before answering. Yes, ma'am. They say the snails are dying out. All these big hunts, the shell harvests, the railroads cutting through their slime trails. I say good riddance. Yes, ma'am. Only thing is, they say when all the snails are gone, there won't be any reason to grow mushrooms anymore in Kansas. Used to be that if you planted anything else, the snails would slime all over it and ruin your crop. Nowadays, there's talk of people swapping out mushrooms for wheat. Can you imagine that? Wheat fields in Kansas. Billy smiled. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it, ma'am. Mushrooms in Kansas go together like, well, cattle in Kansas. That's what I thought, too. But then you see people drinking that fancy bean coffee, and it gets you thinking. Bean coffee and wheat fields. Weird things are afoot in the West, mister. Heavens, I, I didn't catch your name. Billy. Uh, Billy McCoy. Pleased to meet you, Miss Goodhope. Always a pleasure to meet a friend of Harry's. Friend of Harry's. Now there was a handle Billy could get used to. They waited in companionable silence while the coffee heated up. When the steam started to scream, Miss Goodhope pinged Billy with a bullet from memory lane. Do you recall if Harry ever had a golden locket out in the range? Yes, ma'am, he did. Seemed to mean a whole lot to him. I recall him giving that thing a kiss before he... Well, before he drew off those snails. The lady smiled and her eyes went a million miles away. My stars, she murmured. That does me good to hear. Ma'am, I gave him that locket. Made him promise to be the best cattleman on the plains. My daddy never liked him, you see. Said cattlemen were dishonest, ill-tempered folk, and no way fit to marry his daughter. I got it into my head that if Harry could be the best cattleman, maybe my daddy would see he was worth something. She tossed her head like a nervous mare and gave Billy an almost apologetic look. What a foolish little girl I was. No, ma'am, not at all. And I want you to know that as well as I can figure, Harry Frank Lee was the best cattleman that ever drove a herd over the Brazos. She poured his coffee into a little snail shell cup and handed it to him. He didn't bother letting it cool before tipping it down the hatch. It tasted like good earth and gunshots. You're a dying breed, Mr. McCoy, just like my Harry. Well, I thank you kindly for that, ma'am, he said. And I thank you kindly for this coffee. It might just be the best shroom brew I ever had. Keep the cup, she said. He nodded his thanks and turned for the door. One more thing before you go. Anything, ma'am. I guess I got myself a bad habit asking cowboys for promises. But if you do see any snails out there, green or white, I don't care. Would you kill them for me? For Harry? It was a hell of a thing to be asked by a lady, and for a time, Billy didn't know what to say. The easy thing, he supposed, would have been a simple yes, but the word got caught in some kind of blockage in his throat. Killing wasn't such a simple thing, even snails. Then she hit him with those sad eyes and that sweet smile, and the blockage cleared. Yes, ma'am, he said. I'll do that. He was up on the ridge in the Dakota Territory, playing wilderness guide for a couple of wide-eyed gold prospectors. When it finally hit him, he was getting old. 
It had been near on 15 years since they set out north from Wichita, which made more than 25 years total now out in the range. Wasn't much that could rattle old Billy McCoy these days, so when the prospectors came scrambling up the hill, hooting and hollering about some slime they'd seen down in the dried-up riverbed, Billy just let them holler. Wasn't like there were any cattle to spook. Huh, Billy said, when they'd just about shattered themselves hoarse. Now what's this you think you seen? Must have been the whole Lakota nation, judging by the ruckus. Slime, said Curtis McBride, a young bachelor out of St. Louis who'd come to seek his fortune in the Black Hills. I'm telling you, sir, there must be snails about. Well, we better tell the papers about your discovery, Billy said. The first snail ever seen in the Dakotas. You ready to have your names in the science journals, boys? You're making fun of us, said Benjamin Richardson, who was correct. Just go down and take a look yourself. We're paying you, aren't we? Yes, sir, said Billy. As long as your money spends, I'm your man. Time was, Billy didn't have to babysit starry-eyed Easterners to keep himself afloat. Time was when there were cattle to drive, horses to wrangle, and horse thieves to shoot. But then the railroads came, and then the snail trophy hunters, wheat planters, and all the rest. Time was when the West was wild enough for a man like Billy. Nowadays... It was just a playground for boys like Curtis and Ben. So Billy sidled his trusty Palomino down that bluff, shifting in the saddle to scan the horizon, making a show for the boys that he was taking their snail fear seriously. He knew good and well all they seen was a little moisture in the dust of the riverbed, but he couldn't tell them that. He needed repeat clients, and making them feel foolish was no way to... Oh, well, I'll be a grizzly bear on a tightrope, he said. Look sharp, boys, there's snails in these hills. It was a piddly little slime trail, uneven and goopy. Something wasn't right with whatever mollusk left it, but even so, the slime was green. This was a dangerous critter. Oh, Lord, said Curtis. Well, there can't be just one, can there? What if we're surrounded? What if they're closing in on us? What if... Quit that belly aching, Billy said. He swung off his palomino and slid his Winchester from the saddle holster. You stay here and mind the steed. I'll deal with the snail. Alone, said Benjamin. But that's suicide. Well, that's between me and the snail, ain't it? Billy said. He smiled as he pumped his Winchester. You're paying me, ain't you? He tracked the sludge trudger down the riverbed half a mile before the smell hit him. It was like a cross between the shit heaps of a cattle stockyard and the wafting fumes of a man wearing too much cologne. What in tarnation was this beast sucking up his gullet? The ichor trailed off toward a rocky cave that raised concerns of mountain lions, but there wasn't nothing for it. He pulled his bandana over his nose and crept toward the grotto, careful to avoid the toxic slime. What he found was a monster from his nightmares. He figured on finding a stunted, sickly thing to match the measly slime trail. He hadn't figured on wandering into the lair of the biggest, nastiest mollusk he'd ever laid eyes on. He hadn't figured on a beast with battle scars crisscrossing its face and one-eyed tentacles sheared off at the stalk. And he sure as hell hadn't figured on a golden locket dangling off of a crag in its shell. Harry Lee's locket. This was Mr. Lee's killer. You evil son of a bitch. The snail gargled a challenge and Billy leveled his gun. 
Killing was no easy thing, but this was no ordinary creature. It had murdered Mr. Lee, for Christ's sakes. And then there was the matter of the promise he'd made to Miss Goodhope all those years ago. His finger curled around the trigger. The snail gargled another challenge, its slimy mouth undulating and its whole body shivering. It spat its disgusting slime in the dirt between them, but the ichor was speckled with flecks of blue, and it was paler and thinner than a slime trail. Understanding washed over Billy like a flash flood in the Mojave. It wasn't slime. It was bloody snot. The snail wasn't challenging him. The poor little monster was sick after all. Hard to get by when you're the only one of your kind in the Dakotas, I reckon, Billy said. You probably have to settle for sucking grubs up from the mud and rocks. That ain't no way for a snail to live. The snail coughed again and its eye tentacle cast about in search of escape. Now that Billy wasn't looking at him down the barrel of a gun, he reckoned he could read the whole history of that creature in the hurts of its body. There was a crack in his shell where snail hunters had tried and failed to pop him open like a walnut, and another where it looked like a locomotive had clipped him. Snails always had struggled with railroads. I got hurts too, Billy said. He rolled up his pant leg and showed the burns where a forage harvester had spewed steam at him. They just keep driving on, don't they? The snail made a noise that was either an acknowledgement or just the mangled cry of a struggling, confused animal. Aw, oh, shit, Billy said. I reckon I'm gonna have to disappoint that fine lady. Using the gun barrel as a billhook, he fished Mr. Lee's locket off the notch in the snail's shell. The creature shuddered as he removed it, finally free of the decades-long irritation. Billy flipped open the locket and found inside an image that stopped his crusty old heart from beating. It was a young, hairy Frank Lee, mustachioed and dashing, like one of them highway robbers out of the Penny Dreadfuls, and Mrs. Goodhope. Boy, howdy she was a looker. And the way they gazed at each other, Billy hadn't been one for crying, but Dad gummed if there wasn't just a little bit of wet seeping out the corner of his eyes. He snapped the locket shut. He didn't want to start a flood. All right, old-timer. Billy said to the snail. I'm going to let you off with a warning this time. You steer clear of them prospectors and don't cause too much ruckus. And I figure you and me, we can have some kind of an understanding. The snail's eye tentacle bent towards its shell in what Billy chose to interpret as a sign of agreement. He returned the salute with a wave of his Winchester, then backed out of that grotto and made his way down the creek bed. When he got back to the prospectors, he waved off their questions. He swung up into his saddle, wheeled away downhill, and started his long drive home. He didn't have no promises to keep, but then he never had figured on living up to the legend of Harry Frank Lee. He was just little Billy McCoy, trying to make his way on the range. He drove away south as the sun faded over the plains, south towards Wichita.
things out this week with our 100 character story winner again this week by dinosaur monkey on a roll it couldn't stop itself neither could the military the very very hungry caterpillar continues to consume and we live in fear R.I.P. Eric Carl 100 character stories. We call them Twabbles, and we run a contest in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org each week, where we pick our winner and post it out early on social media. Follow the Drabblecast at Drabblecast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for those early and other great random stuff. And try writing on your own. Go to our forums, give it a shot. Good times. Remember, folks, the Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. That's the point of the license. We want you to spread the weird, tell a friend, grow the empire. Write us a review on iTunes or elsewhere, blog about us, and if you're really feeling generous and enjoy our show, consider supporting the Drabblecast financially. We rely on listeners like you to keep us going to pay authors and all of our costs. Go to Drabblecast.org, find the support options at the top, and consider helping out. We greatly appreciate it. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Gino Moretto. Our program this week was brought to you by Bo Kyer, Abby Hilton, Jason Smith, Jason Cavella, Maria Dong, Jen Fisher, a man who got on the elevator at the third floor and never got off, Tom Baker, Adam Pratt, Sandro Dell, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, weird things are afoot in the West. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world 
that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.